remember how you responded to the gospel and received saving faith. I want you to think about that for a moment. Just keep that in your mind. Do you remember how you responded to the gospel and received saving faith? Do you remember how broken you were over your sin? So when the Lord first saved you, just how broken you were over your sin. And then at the same time, how freeing it felt when you were told what had been done for your sin. So you were broken, but then also freed at the same time in the reality of what had been done for your sin. And you were told these things. And for those of us who are Christians, uh, these responses are to be a continual pattern of our lives, right? The, the responses that, yeah, we're going to be talking about this, this afternoon are to be a continual pattern for us. And if you're not a Christian, you may be wondering, what response am I referring to? Well, before you can respond, you must hear the message that warrants a response. And that message is the gospel which is the good news about God and that God created everyone and everything. He created human beings. He created Adam and Eve, our first parents, in his image, and every human being after, in his image, after his likeness. But our first parents sinned. And because of their sin, every human being that has been born since then has inherited their sin. And not only inherited their sin, but they've also inherited their judgment. So, that judgment being that, that God would cast us away from his presence for all of eternity in hell. And that judgment is due to all sinners. Because God is a good judge. He is a good God. He is a righteous God, a righteous judge. And if he were to judge us in our sin, he would judge us rightly. He would judge us swiftly. And we would indeed be found guilty and sent away from him for all of eternity. But thanks be to God, it doesn't stop there. That this news, that's the bad news, there is good news, that, that God sent his son Jesus yeah. to live a perfect, sinless life in our place, your place and in my place. He lives a perfect, sinless life, which means he obeyed God completely and fully. Where the first Adam failed, uh, the new Adam succeeded. Yeah. And this is Jesus. But then he was treated as a criminal, where he was, yeah, sent to the cross, to die for our sins. He was nailed on the cross. He died, was buried in the grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. He had defeated the grave. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. And on the third day, he was risen from the dead, resurrected from the dead, offering all who would turn from their sin and turn to him by faith, eternal life. So these are the responses that I just hit on just now, right? That's the gospel and the gospel warrants a response, and those responses are repentance and faith. So, repentance and faith. So, if you've been with us, you know we've been in a sermon series through our statement of faith called What We Believe Together. And today, as Brother Brock just read before the sermon, the article and the scripture for our topic today is repentance and faith. So, that's where we're going to be. Uh, before we dive into the text, let me ask God for his help again, and then we'll, we'll go from there. By God's grace. Let's pray. God, I need your help. Uh, I come to you uh, in need of you, Lord. Every part of you, Lord. Would you, would you help now as I seek to faithfully preach your word? 
Um, I pray, God, that you would increase and that I would decrease. I pray, Lord, that, that yeah, Lord, that we, that we would all, Lord, um, see you in this time, Lord, that that don't want to see me, we want to see you. We want to see you highly lifted up and exalted. We want to understand what thus saith the Lord. And so, God, would you please grant that now? And would you allow your word to do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes this afternoon, uh, here are two questions that are going to serve as our two points this afternoon uh, as we're going to be looking at together in our time. So point number one, very simply, what is repentance? Point number two, what is faith? All right, so that's what we're going to dive into and then have some applications at the end. Uh, so let's look at the first one together. Point one, what is repentance? Well, one definition defines it this way. Repentance is the act whereby one turns from his or her sin, idolatry, and creaturely rebellion, and turns to God in faith. So repentance is, simply put, turning away. Turning away from sin and turning to God by faith. So repentance means to turn from sin, to turn from going in the wrong direction, and to go in the right direction. It's a turning from sin, but not only just a turning from something, it's a turning to something, right? So it's a turning from sin and a turning to the Son, Jesus. So we have many places in Scripture where we see repentance or the fruit of repentance on display, but probably one of the more prominent places uh, is Psalm 51. Psalm 51. So turn there with me in your Bibles to Psalm 51 in your Bibles, or if you have it on your phone, or if you need a Bible, there's some Bibles here on the table that you can grab if you need one. So Psalm 51. And as you turn there, the context of this psalm is King David. David has sinfully looked upon and orchestrated a relationship with Bathsheba uh, that's only to be deemed for marriage. Right? And in the process, he's even, got, he's even gotten Bathsheba's husband killed. And as a result, this has grieved the heart of God because of his sin. And David goes on with life as if everything is cool, as if everything is fine, and doesn't confess, we, we, we see in the scriptures, but is confronted. He's confronted by a friend. And then becomes convicted. And a part of his conviction, a part of his repentance here we have listed in this psalm, uh, which, is, which is a song, right? That, that David is, is singing to God, writing to God here as he responds in Psalm 51. Here it is, it says, starting in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. 
and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is God's word, amen? Amen. amen. So in our time together, I'm going to walk through David's repentance here, the, the fruit of David's repentance here that we see in Psalm 51, in hopes that uh, it would encourage us and that we would glean from uh, David's response here in Psalm 51. So first off, if you look at the text, first off in verse 1, we see David there starts with, have mercy on me, O God. And in a very real sense, as you think about it, what David teaches us here already is that repentance is really a crying out to God. Have mercy on me. It's really a crying out to God. God, God, have mercy on me. Similar to the tax collector's realization of his sin, as you may recall, in comparison to the Pharisee in Luke 18. So the Pharisee responds in pride. He responds in, I've done all these things. <clears throat> Whereas the tax collector responds with repentance. It says in Luke 18, verse 13, it says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So David and the tax collector understood, they understand their need for God's mercy. Christians here this afternoon, you did too. <laughs> you understood, you came to a realization of your need for God's mercy, but we also need to be reminded, don't we? Sometimes we forget, and we need to be reminded. What is mercy, then? What is mercy? So mercy is getting what you and I don't deserve, right? That's what mercy is. So for your sin and for my sin, what we deserve is death and hell. It's what we deserve. But God, in his love, offered us eternal life through his son. This is us getting what we don't deserve. And praise God that we serve a God, that we have a God who loves us in this way. To give us what we don't deserve. So David continues in verse, uh, in the verse, the same verse, uh, attributing this mercy uh, that he would receive from God. To the character of God. Look there with me again. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. You look in the text, I, I, I would love for you if you have a, a, a copy of God's Word, or if you can do that with your phones or whatever case may be, uh, to underline, you see it says, Your steadfast love, your abundant mercy. So we know from Scripture, we know that God is love, right? That's 1 John 1.16, that God is love, that, that God is love, it's, it's who he is, and that also God is 
merciful. And any love and mercy that he displays to us are, guess what, an extension of who he is. What he's displaying to us, what he has displayed to us, is an extension of who he is. It's who he is is his character, right? This is what God tells Moses in Exodus 34, this, this exact thing. Exodus 34, 68, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses, in response, what does he do? Quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped God. This is who God was telling Moses, and this is who God has been telling his people from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the churches today, who he is, and that he is a God of mercy. And that he is a God of love. His love is steadfast, as the text says, which means it's unending. Our God has a love that's unending. Whereas human beings, our love, it can waver, <laughs> right? We could, we could love somebody one day, the next day we might hate that person, right? God forbid, but not with God. God's love for his people is unending and unwavering. That's what it means to be steadfast. But then his mercy is abundant. What does that mean? Well, it, it means that God has a bank stocked full of mercy, which will never go bankrupt. His bank is full of mercy, unending mercy, treasures of mercy that will never go bankrupt. And so in light of that truth of who God is, David then says, blot out my transgressions. It says, blot out my transgressions, which means to then wipe them out, to, to clear them out, to essentially destroy his sins, remove his sins from him. In verse 2, David asked God to wash him from his iniquities and to cleanse him from his sins. Look down with me. Verse 2, it says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. David here has mentioned so far three ways to refer to sin, right? You, probably, you see those in the text. He, he, the verse before it says transgressions. Then he says iniquity. And then he also says sin. So transgressions here, uh, it just means to, to trespass, right? Transgressions means to trespass. Like if uh, you were to go in somebody's yard, right, that has a no trespassing sign, if you were to go in that yard, that means you are trespassing, that you have gone uh, further than you should have, right? You have broken the law. That's what tra transgressions mean. It means to, to trespass, right? Iniquity here, uh, according to one source, means to make a premeditated choice, right? It's, it's, it's interesting. So it's iniquity is, yeah, you're making a premeditated choice, and to commit iniquity is to continue without repentance. And so what this means here in this context of this passage is that David's sin with Bathsheba that led to the killing of her husband Uriah was iniquity. It was something premeditated. 
you may recall the story. He sees her. He lusts after her. And he orchestrates all of this, right? It was something premeditated. He thought this out, right? He, he, he thought how to kill Uriah, right? So this is something premeditated. This is iniquity. Sin here means to disobey God in word, thought, or deed. God has a standard of holiness, of perfection, and none of us have met it. Nobody has met it. We've all missed the mark. There's only one who didn't, and that's Jesus, who is God. Perfect. So what this reminds us, family, is that we're all wicked. We're all wicked. We're all sinful. There's none in here, none outside these walls that can say they have not sinned. We have all missed the mark. We have all transgressed. We have all committed sins of iniquity. Sin is wicked. We have all done wicked things. So David here, understanding the gravity uh, of his wickedness, says, cleanse me from all of this, God. Cleanse me from all of this, God. And praise be to God that he will do that. That he will do that, amen? That he will do that. If you cry out for cleansing, God will cleanse you. He cleansed David. And for any of us who have called out, he will cleanse you. And he will keep on cleansing you. In fact, that's the Christian life. In fact, when you first believed upon Christ, you were cleansed at conversion. God has cleansed you from your sin. You have been made right with God. You have his spirit who resides in you now, who will never leave you nor forsake you, right? And the Christian life, called sanctification, is that we are continuously being cleansed. We are continuously growing in God's grace and wisdom and knowledge. And he's continuing to make us like himself. This is good news because, guess what? You and I didn't have the power to do it. And guess what? We still don't have the power to do it. We cannot cleanse ourselves. So what this is, what this means for us and encouragement to us is that we don't have to come and try to clean ourselves up. We don't have to come even to church. feeling like we have to clean ourselves up. We can come as we are because God accepts us as we are and he himself will cleanse us. Amen? And this is what God loves to do. He loves to clean up messy, wretched sinners like you and me. This is what he does. Repentance, as we see here continuing on with David, also has a self-awareness piece to it. It has a self-awareness aspect to it. David knows this. Listen to verses 3 through 4. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David, again, feels the weight of his sin. He sees the wickedness of his sin in verse 3. Then in verse 4, he acknowledges how his sin is an offense to God, right? So you see that there, if you look at verse 3 again, he, he, there's an there's a awareness that has come about, right? He's like, yo, like, my transgressions, like, they are before me. My sin is ever before me. I see it. I feel the weight of it. I feel the gravity of it, God. 
Then in verse 4, he acknowledges that ultimately his sin had offended God, his Savior. Now we know that when we sin, it affects our vertical relationship with God, but it also affects our horizontal relationship with people, doesn't it? Uh, sin hurts God, right? It offends God. It also hurts you, me, the sinner, the one who is committing the sin. And then it also hurts the people we sin against or sin with, etc., etc. Scripture is clear on this. I mean, just think with me at one place among many, the great commandment, right? In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, where in summary, Jesus tells us there to love God and to love people, right? Love God, love people. So when we sin in any type of way with or against another person, it's unloving. It's unloving. Sin hurts people. It hurts you. It hurts other people. So to sin actually hurts yourself and it hurts the other person, right? Clearly this is true. But here in verse 4, David only addresses the vertical relationship. He only addresses the vertical aspect of the relationship because I think this is clearly what he's trying to do. Because at the end of the day, it was God's law that he broke. And so it's God's law that he broke, not man's. And it's God who he will ultimately have to face for his sin. God is the ultimate judge. So ultimately, yes, the, that is a reality that, yeah, our sin is going to hurt us. It's going to hurt other people. But ultimately, our sin offends God, our heavenly creator and maker who created us in his image after his likeness to worship him. So anytime we sin, we are, yeah, we are, we are not worshiping God in the way that he made us to do so. In verse 5, we're reminded again of our fallenness. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we are born sinners, right? We talked about that in the beginning of the sermon. Uh, we sin because we're sinners, not sinners because we sin. It's good to get that distinction. That we are sinners. That is our identity. Right? Uh, it's who we are. It's our nature. But for the Christian, we, yeah, are sinners, but we're saved by grace. We have a new identity. Right? We still struggle with sin. But guess what? We've been saved. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin anymore. This is who we are. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men and women because all sin. Alright? Ephesians 2.1-3 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
these scriptures and, and many more that we can look at just just shows us, tells us, yeah, this is our identity. This is what we are, who we are. And the reason why we sin is because we're doing, we're carrying out <laughs> our nature of what we are and who we are. I remember when Jesus first saved me, uh, how overwhelmed and sorrowful I was over my sin. Just, just overwhelmed by the wickedness, similar to David. Just overwhelmed by the wickedness and just, just all of the sin that I had committed. Uh, but then also at the same time, uh, yeah, overwhelmed and, and just amazed by the mercy of God. So overwhelmed by my sin, but at the same time overwhelmed by the mercy and love of God. I remember having times then and even now where I would just, yeah, weep over my sin. Just just be saddened uh, just over my sin. And I still have those moments at times when I just, you may even have these as well, where you just reflect back on who you used to be. And you think about how God has brought you a mighty long way. And if you would have stayed or, or if you were still in that old way, how at any point, if God would have taken you, you would have been, uh, yeah, you would have yeah, experienced his wrath. Like, that's a scary thought. It is a, is a man, just, just to think about that and then, then, then to be reminded of the mercy of God and how he saved you, saved me. And how he holds that same salvation out to all who would trust. In verse 6, David says, God delights in truth in the inward being, in the innermost parts of who we are, and that he teaches wisdom in the heart. That's what he says. He says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In verse 7, David continues to ask God for cleansing. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. He says, purge me. In, in, in other words, remove the filthiness of sin from me. Cleanse me with hyssop. So hyssop was a, a plant used in rituals and uh, for ceremonial cleansing and atonement. He says, do this, Lord, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Reminds me of the one part of the song that was sung earlier uh, at the beginning of our service. Nothing but the blood. It says, Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Verse 8, David says, let me experience joy again. You have broken me. This is what he essentially says in verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He's basically saying, I've, I've, you've, you've broken me. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by my sin. I'm overwhelmed uh, by the weight of my sin and the guilt of my sin. But also at the same time, the mercy that you have poured out. Like, I want to experience joy and gladness again. You've broken me, God. In verse 9, David says, God, don't even look at my sins. Please hide your face from them and completely remove them. That's been a consistent thing throughout this entire uh, chapter so far, right? 
of hiding your face from our sins. Don't, don't look at them. Remove them. Block them out, Lord. Verse 9, he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So here, in a very real sense, what we've been seeing so far is the fruit of repentance alive and well in David's heart. And it should be very much alive in our hearts. So that's number one. What is repentance? Turning away from sin. Turning to God. What is faith? That's point two. What is faith? Well, as one definition simply puts it, it's reliance upon God and a trust in God. Faith is trust, it's belief, it's dependence and reliance upon God. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in an object, a person. There's, there's an object, there's a person that's attached to our faith, and that is God. We don't just have faith in faith for faith's sake. We have faith in a person. Similar to, to Abraham, he had faith in God, and his faith in God, uh, that faith he had was credited to him as righteousness. So Genesis 15, 6, it says, talking about Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. And it's by faith alone that we come into relationship with God. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we have faith in God. Christians, yeah, yeah, are saved by faith in God. But we are to live by faith. Romans 1 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, verse 17, uh, Paul is quoting uh, Habakkuk 2 4 that reads, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So we live by faith. We walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And it is by faith that we please God. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the type of faith David had. Scriptures make clear that although David sinned, uh, he was still considered to be a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Talking about David. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Acts picking this same theme up in chapter 13, verse 22, it says, And when he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
this is, yeah, who David is, a man after God's own heart. And what we've been seeing from verse 1 is really, yeah, his repentance on display, but also his faith on display in God. David has faith in God, and he is writing from his faith in God. He believes that God will grant him that mercy. He's calling out to God, have mercy on me, because he believes that God is the only one that can show him mercy. So he believes that God will grant him mercy and that he will cleanse him from his sin. Look with me at verse 10 as we continue to uh, walk through this passage. Verse 10, it says, of Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David says, create in me a clean heart, or in other words, a pure heart. Right? David believes that God uh, was the one who gave him a new heart. And similar to Ezekiel 36, 26, and that he will put a new spirit within him. So, Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. So this has already happened at conversion for every believer, that at conversion you have been given a new heart. Right? You've been given a new heart, <clears throat> and you've been given God's Spirit. God's Spirit resides in the believer. So this happens at conversion, but again, as I already mentioned, this keeps on happening for the Christian in sanctification. Right? We continue to, yeah, grow in the wisdom and grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues to pour out more of his spirit upon us uh, as we seek to grow in holiness with him. So God keeps cleansing us, keeps cleansing you as you come to him with your sin. This is what God does. Jesus even says here in Matthew 5, 8, that in order to see God, we must have a pure heart. Right? Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In verse 11 of Psalm 51, David says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He says, Don't cast me away from your presence, O God. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David, because he has sinned, pleads with God that he wouldn't leave him and that he wouldn't lose his presence. I don't think that this meant that David would actually lose God's presence or lose God's spirit. But either way, David feared that he would because of the gravity of his sin. He feared that he would because of what he had done. But for us as Christians in the New Testament, we are yeah, promised the Holy Spirit in a permanent sense. And we can have confidence that the Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. John 14, 16-18, Jesus talking to the disciples then and to us now. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, talking about the Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and what? Will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Another verse, Ephesians 1.13. <clears throat> in him you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what we're reminded here, just based off those two passages, is that, yeah, once you are saved by God's grace, you receive God's Spirit, and you are sealed to the day of redemption. So us as Christians, we don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to fret if God's presence will leave us. He promises right here in the text that He will never leave us. He will always be with us. And that's a truth to be, com- excuse me, be comforted by this afternoon. Amen? Amen? To be comforted by that He will never leave us. Verse 12, David asks God to restore his salvation. Verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So something that we notice here, and even as we saw in the last verse, in thinking about faith, David here says, restore to me the joy. So it's a joy that he already possessed. He said, in light of my sin, like restore that to me. It's something that I had, but it, I, I'm feeling a little shaky right now. I'm feeling, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling shameful. I'm feeling all of these results of my sin. Restore that joy to me. I want to experience that again. And then he says, Uphold me with a willing spirit. And this very restoring of the joy of your salvation is the, the very good news that for us as Christians today, that we have believed and that we keep on believing and that we keep on asking God to restore it to us. Give us a fresher lens of your gospel today, Lord. Give us a greater love for your gospel today, Lord. Sometimes we are sunk deep into sin and we struggle. Sometimes we are, we are, yeah, we are pressed down by the burdens of life and anxiety of life. And we need, Lord, we need the Lord to refresh us, to restore to us the joy that we know we possess, but at that moment we may not see or feel like we possess. We have to cry out, God, restore that to me. I want more. I want that joy. Give that to me. I want that gospel joy. Provide that for me. And not only provide that gospel joy, but uphold me. Uphold me with a willing spirit. David knew that his spirit wasn't willing. Like he needed to be upheld. And God promises to uphold us. Isaiah 41.10 he promises that he will uphold us with his righteous right hand. This is what God will do. And so, restore this joy of salvation and uphold us, uphold me with a willing spirit. And this is the promise of the gospel. In what Christ has done, in that he has come, lived, died, and been raised from the dead for our justification. Not only for our justification, but for our sanctification. Not only for our sanctification, but one day for our glorification. And that he will, in that time, between now and when he returns, he will continuously, as we cry out to him, 
in whatever circumstance we're in, whatever we're feeling, when it feels like the world is caving in on us, when it feels like life is super hard, when there are challenges that we don't know how we're going to make it through, when there are debts that need to be paid, when there is death in the family, when there is, yeah, whatever that might be, you put that, whatever that thing is, you put that there and God says, look, I want to restore joy right now. I will give you joy right now. I will give you peace right now. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4. This is what God delights in doing. This is, this is not duty for God. This is something he delights to do. He delights in restoring joy and upholding us with a willing spirit. So lastly and briefly, just want to, yeah, as we kind of have just walked through this, just want to offer just some, some applications as we think about repentance and faith. Number one, how does one receive repentance and faith? How does one receive repentance and faith? Well, we receive it as a gift. We receive it as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we know this, when we read this text, we automatically notice and think this. I'm sure all of our minds went there like, oh yeah, like salvation is a gift. It is a gift from God. We can't work for it. We can't earn it, right? It has to be given to us. Well, in the same way that salvation is a gift, the very responses to that gift are also a gift from God. Meaning that you and I, we can't rot up in our own selves repentance. None of us could have repented of ourselves in and of ourselves. No, God had to, yes, yeah, usher us into repentance. None of us could have, yet yeah, believed upon God by faith in and of ourselves. No, God had to grant that faith. In Ephesians 2, here, 8 and 9, it's clear that it is all a gift of God. So salvation is a gift from God, and the responses to that salvation is a gift from God. Gifts that only He can provide. We also learn in Scripture that as we kind of think about repentance and the response of repentance, that, that it's the Holy Spirit that grants that repentance, right? It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. We hear the gospel message. We are, we are, yeah, we are told and, and shown that we are sinners in need of saving by Jesus alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it's the Spirit that applies that message. It's the Spirit that, that makes that message touch down in our hearts. And it says here, yeah, that in uh, the text, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. This is Jesus talking. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. John 16, 8-11, talking about, thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. So at conversion, we were convicted by the Spirit. And we were also led by the Spirit to repent. And 
not only to repent, led by the Spirit, to receive faith. Not any of our doing. All of God's doing. Which essentially means that it's all a gift from God. God's goodness and His kindness, as the text tells us, should lead us to repentance. Think about that just for a second. As we were even thinking about God's character in the beginning, God's goodness, God is good. There's no one that is gooder than God. God is good, right? It's who he is, it's his character. And we learn from the scriptures that it's God's goodness, his kindness that should lead us to repentance. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The entire work of Salvation is God's work provided to us as a gift. Ezekiel 36, 25-27. I know I read one of the verses earlier, but just to, yeah, just to soak in this a bit more. Ezekiel 36. And I want you to notice every time you hear the, the, the yeah, you hear the I, you hear the letter I in this passage. So, starting out, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. This is all God. All God, all God's supernatural work in the sinner to save the sinner by His grace. Grace, I will do this. Romans ten nine and ten again. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified; with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, where do you think you got the urge to confess and believe? God. God, God wrought that in your soul. God wrought that. He brought that about in your heart. Not you, not me. And praise God that he did. It's all a gift from God. So Christians, don't ever forget that every aspect of your salvation, every aspect of your life, uh, by God's grace, is a gift from him. It's a gift from him. You didn't earn it, and you can't earn it. Let us all continue to learn to appreciate the gifts that God has given to us more and more, and to cherish it more and more. And if there's anyone who doesn't know the Lord, God wants to provide this gift of salvation to you. He wants to provide this precious gift to you. So receive Him today. One more. When we think about repentance and faith, and, and we think about yeah, the gifts that yeah, these are that God has provided, but we know that for the Christian life, we don't stop repenting. We didn't stop repenting at conversion, but that repentance is actually uh, the way of the Christian. Repentance and faith is the way of the Christian. And so I just want to yeah, leave you to think about this, and as you go into this, this new week, I want you to think about how often you repent. How often you repent of your sins and trust Jesus by faith. 
Because that is the way of the Christian. And that is the way to grow. So if you are not confessing your sin to God and also to one another as we are called to confess our sins to one another, uh, whatever those sins are that you are trying to fight or trying to beat, uh, the likelihood of that is that you may not. And I think that the way that God has designed it to see growth, to see, yeah, to see, uh, yeah, gospel growth, uh, to see advancement, uh, to see, uh, yeah, a life that is pursuing holiness uh, is, yeah, through repenting and through believing upon Jesus. And as we do that, God will grow us in the faith. He will make us more like his son. And that's the goal. We want to be more like Jesus. Well, the way to be more like Jesus is to be humble like Jesus and to humbly come before God and repent of our sins because we all have sin. And so the encouragement for all of us is don't hide in sin. For one, you can't. God sees it all anyway. And he knows it all. But instead, confess those sins to him and receive his mercy. And then confess to one another and receive the mercy from God through one another. And as you do that, may the Lord bless you and grow you spiritually uh, as you seek to be more like Jesus. Let's pray as the king comes back up. God, we thank you for the gift of the gospel in that you have uh, made a way to save us. We thank you for salvation, Lord. None of us could save ourselves. We indeed needed you. And we thank you for the gift of the responses that you provide through repentance and faith. Thank you for doing that at conversion. Uh, thank you for doing that for anyone who, who yeah, trusts you today. And thank you, O oh Lord, for how you continue to do that, Lord, as we seek to be sanctified on a daily basis. Lord, we, we so want to be more like you. Help us to be more like you, Jesus. Personally and corporately as a body. Help us to repent more. Help us to not be comfortable in our sins. And to hide in our sins. Help us to come to you as you welcome us open arms every time we mess up and we will mess up thank you God that you welcome us as a loving father and that you sent your son Jesus to take away our sins help us Lord we pray to look to you and upon looking to you look more like